Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. We're delighted to be back with you. And this week we have uh, Lynn Menchies, who's with us. And Lynn is the president and, and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. And, of course, as uh, we will share with you, and Lynn will tell you more about this in just a moment, uh, this industry has perhaps been hit just about as hard as any uh, industry or any category of uh, business can possibly be hit by the pandemic. And uh, uh, it is certainly affecting North Carolina because it represents $22 billion in sales in North Carolina and employs about 13% of the state's workforce. So this is uh, a major concern. And, and first of all, Lynn, welcome to the program. And let's let's give a little bit of background about how you became uh, the president and the CEO of the uh, the uh, Restaurant Association and your background. So uh, uh, tell us a little bit how you got there. Well, thank you so much, Don, for the opportunity to be on with you today and to, to chat with your listeners. Um, as, as, uh, as some may know, I uh, have been around for a long time. I think that means I'm probably pretty old, but I've been a part of the North Carolina hospitality community for you know well over 25 years in this state. Um, for many years, I served as the state's tourism director. And so, you know, in that work, we we supported uh, hotels across the state, attractions and restaurants uh, as well, who, you know, benefit from travelers, uh, you know, the billions of travelers who come into our state each year. Um, excuse me, millions of travelers who come into our state each year. And uh, so with that, um, about seven years ago, now almost eight years ago, uh, I was uh, an extended an opportunity to join the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Uh, and so I've been in this role for, for eight years. Um, it's an interesting spot in that I get to work with private business owners every day. These are people who pay taxes and employ, as you mentioned, 13% of our state's workforce. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people who are all in the hospitality industry. Um, and so the challenge and the opportunity has to been to try to harness the collective power of private business owners uh, and to try to give them voice uh, in working with policymakers at all levels of government. And so, you know, it's just been a, a very richly rewarding uh, part of my career. Um, you know, I love being a part of government, but now kind of working outside for the private sector, uh, trying to work with government officials to try to, you know, move good public policy and fight policies that uh, hurt businesses and our employees uh, is really what we're all about now. And so just a great role and just honored every single day to be a part of this incredible North Carolina hospitality community. Well, as we said, uh, you know, uh, tourism, and of course you started out, as you said, and that role overall is such an important part of the North Carolina economy. Uh, and uh, so uh, it is affecting us in several different ways. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, some people have observed is that in many respects, more people will be traveling in-state uh, because they can't travel out of state. So that's, that's on the good side. But then we have the pandemic concerns and the uh, capacity concerns and the distancing concerns that are certainly affecting especially the restaurants. So let's talk a little bit about how so far uh, it has affected the restaurants because as we know, some of the restaurants, especially those that were always involved in takeout, of course are doing, doing okay because it's kind of business as usual for them. That's right, Don. So, you know, you talk about travel and tourism. So, you know, we, we are a state that enjoys, you know, great uh, travel and tourism. We're the sixth most visited state in America. 
Um, you know, we greet about 50 million visitors a year. Uh, and so I think, uh, and I think our East Coast location bodes well for North Carolina in that we're the, we're the very center of the Eastern United States and very close to a lot of our nation's large population centers. Um, I think as we look to rebound and recover from COVID-19 and people began to travel again, we're going to fare pretty well. And we've done so during similar, you know, kind of situations, gas shortages, as well as the, the crisis of September 11th. So, you know, I think we'll be okay. And I do think North Carolinians uh, feel comfortable traveling within their own state. And so as we pivot for recovery, um, we are going to be targeting, uh, working with Visit and See, obviously, who does a phenomenal job in marketing the state. Uh, and they will be targeting drive markets primarily and uh, trying to get North Carolinians to travel uh, within North Carolina and then reaching into some of our neighboring states to do some marketing and promotion. So we look forward to, you know, trying to stimulate uh, interest in traveling. But, uh, but I do think you raised some really good questions, and that's about consumer confidence and how consumers are going to feel about traveling. And, you know, that's an issue that we've been uh, very focused on. Well, and of course, this, uh, you know, the, the logic part of this deal uh, doesn't seem to get as much uh, press as the restaurant part of your responsibility. So let's talk a little bit about how the hotels and motels and lodging uh, uh, accommodation sources are doing uh, right now. And are they recovering a little faster than restaurants, maybe? Well, uh, it, it's interesting that uh, if we look back to how this all kind of began uh, in early March, um, you remember on March 17th, we saw restaurants close across North Carolina for in-dining service. And so it was on that day that a number, about 300,000 uh, employees in the restaurant community were displaced from their jobs. It was only about a week and a half later that the governor issued the stay-at-home mandate um, or order that then required uh, essentially hotels to or, or hotels began to stop seeing business and so business was slowing at hotels but it's really interesting to note that at no point in time did the state of North Carolina close hotels so even during COVID-19 most have remained open for business and for all kinds of business uh, business travel leisure travel uh, obviously that slowed pretty, it, it essentially grinded to a halt as uh, businesses were restricting business travel for their employees um, and people were staying at home. We weren't seeing as much travel, but they did remain open. And some of those hotels pivoted and housed relief workers or medical workers who did not want to go home and spend time with their families. Maybe they were treating COVID patients and they just preferred to stay in a hotel as opposed to you know going home and risking um, uh, exposure to their families, um, we you know of course have seen uh, some business travel continue throughout COVID nineteen. So hotels uh, have been open, obviously running at some very limited capacity, twenty percent capacity. Um, but now we're seeing those numbers tick up to thirty and forty percent capacity, depending on location. Um, those those uh, hotels that are located in leisure travel destinations like along our coastline and in the mountains, uh, they are seeing a pretty good rebound in business. So leisure travelers are beginning to feel comfortable to get out and travel with their families. And uh, so they're benefiting from that right now. Um, but business travel remains fairly suppressed and that, that drives a lot of our overall uh, accommodations across North Carolina. So that part is, is definitely being impacted and likely will for some period of time. So what are some of the measures that hotels are doing to be sure that everything is safe because, you know, quite frankly, we've heard very little uh, negative news about uh, anyone uh, actually uh, being exposed at hotels. 
So what are they doing to be sure that they are providing as safe accommodations as they possibly can for their guests? Hotels uh, ha- are really stepping up their, their cleaning and sa- uh, sanitation protocols uh, in a similar way to those that restaurants are doing as well. Um, there is a, a new initiative, Safe Stay, um, that uh, the American Hotel and Lodging Association has rolled out, uh, and all the major brands, Marriott, Hilton, IHG, uh, Intercontinental uh, Hotels, are, are really embracing uh, just very stringent cleaning protocols. And so, you know, I think customers who travel can rest assured that um, all of those uh, sanitation protocols are being embraced uh, in hotels across our country. And uh, you know, we essentially are seeing kind of a race to who can do it better. Um, so, you know, I think people can feel comfortable with that in a similar way that they can feel comfortable eating in restaurants in, in that uh, the food supply has remained safe. There have been no breaches in, in that kind of thing. So, you know, largely uh, these businesses, hospitality businesses are safe to enjoy for consumers. Um, you know, the real risk that we continue to, to have, and I think the governor addressed yesterday, is how patrons coming into establishments behave. That behavior is is beyond the control of an individual restaurant or hotel. And so it's really, um, we've worked really hard to engage consumers in a mutual responsibility that they have when they come into our establishments. And that is to respect social distancing, to wear face coverings, uh, to wash hands, to be respectful um, as we sort of muddle our way through this whole new uh, era of COVID-19. And, and I think those are the kinds of things that are going to help us get through this safely, um, Don. I think that's, it's, you know, it's very important that we all, um, you know, recognize that we have mutual responsibility and, um, you know, we, we've got to do the kinds of things that public health officials at all levels of government are urging us to do. Well, the shoe is kind of on the other foot now because I noticed that uh, several states are now requiring it. Anyone from North Carolina that visits uh, out of state, and we're not the only state, has to be quarantined when they go to uh, some of the other states that uh, perhaps have peaked in their uh, COVID-19 problem, and now they are watching who's coming in. So that probably bodes well for travel and tourism in North Carolina. Well, that's true. That's so I guess that's going to keep North Carolinians at least out of uh, some of those states, uh, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, where uh, we can't really travel without being quarantined for 14 days. Uh, and there are some other states like Maine and Alaska uh, who have similar kinds of requirements for any, any visitor who comes in. So that's always been the case. Um, and so, yeah, I think North Carolinians are going to feel comfortable, you know, traveling and staying in North Carolina, uh, hopefully, and, uh, and we'll be able to retain some of that business. And we hope to get off those bad lists, though, Don, uh, and maybe with, um, with some stepped-up protocols and the mandatory face coverings that were announced uh, by the governor, we, you know, we'll, we'll improve our uh, COVID cases and hospitalizations in North Carolina, and, and we can get back to business. Well, for some reason, a number of people have a, a real hesitancy to wear face masks. Do you think that uh, it's possible that we'll have some... Uh, penalties if people are not wearing face masks? Well, uh, face masks have always been recommended. And uh, so many businesses, most of my members, restaurants and hotels have, uh, you know, uh, they've worn them, they've had all their staff wearing them. Uh, And the face coverings have really been uh, good for those businesses who have chosen to do it because it has reduced the spread of COVID. Um, uh, And they've not had the outbreaks that some other kinds of businesses have had. And so almost without certainty, um, you know, when we talk to our members, those who wear face coverings uh, and their, their consumers, their customers who wear face coverings are, you know, largely the ones who have um, 
who have been safe and COVID free during most of this, uh, this crisis. So we hope that that will contain the spread. Um, we do know that when people eat in restaurants, they have to remove their face coverings to eat and to dine and to, to drink. And so, you know, it's, it's in that moment that the employee then becomes vulnerable as they approach the table. Um, they become vulnerable if they don't have on a face mask. So, you know, the, the wearing of the face coverings uh, really just kind of uh, gives an added layer of protection when um, our, our workers uh, are trying to deal with folks who are eating and drinking in restaurants, uh, just gives a little bit of protection to the employees. And so most businesses um, have adopted that. And it's a part of our Count on Me and See initiative that I hope we can talk about uh, at some point in our conversation today. Great. Lynn Manges is our guest, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after this. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Lynn Menges, who's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Logic Association. And of course, we're talking about the problems that uh, this particular industry uh, has with uh, that, that's been created by the COVID-19 pandemic that uh, has uh, not only struck our state, but our nation and the world for that matter. Um, and we said earlier that uh, it's particularly hard in North Carolina because $22 billion in sales is involved and nearly 13% of the state's workforce is involved in these two areas. And so that's an awful lot of people who have been at least partially displaced, if not completely displaced, by the current situation. Lynn, uh, first of all, how many, uh, how many restaurants are there in North Carolina? How many members do you have? So, John, there are about 20,000 food service establishments across North Carolina. Um, obviously, not, not all of those pay us dues, but during COVID-19, we have served them all. Um, I guess I've uh, fielded about 50,000 questions uh, through our, our staff of folks, you know, restaurants and, and, and hotels that we've assisted. So obviously many of those have called multiple times with questions. Uh, and so we're, we've, we really don't uh, adhere to membership. Whether or not people pay us dues is sort of irrelevant during COVID-19. We are stepping up to answer questions and to, to serve them all. So it's been a particularly busy time for our, our team during COVID-19. 
And of course, you also, as we said, the, the name of the association is the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. So how many rooms do we have in North Carolina that are available uh, for a guest? So across North Carolina, we have about 155,000 hotel room nights, the rooms a, a night to sell in, in our state. And so during good times, you know, we would run about 80% occupancy, 70 or 80% occupancy. Uh, and we've been ticking along pretty, pretty well here in North Carolina for quite some time. Um, that, as you likely can understand, that's disposable inventory. And so, you know, unlike a car dealership or a bookstore or other retail outlet, uh, those, those items don't remain on the shelf. If we don't sell them on a given night, those rooms are gone forever and there's no way to recap that revenue. And I think therein lies, you know, part of the problem that hotels are experiencing right now is that um, their fixed costs, their overhead, uh, their, their mortgages, leases, insurance, taxes, uh, you know, their utility bills, all of those things have remained fixed and those, those costs continue to accrue. But the revenue that they would derive to help ops, offset those costs um, have, have not been there for, you know, what now looks like about four months. And so, you know, we're really struggling on not only the hotel side, but on the, on the restaurant side as well as, um, you know, the, these businesses have continued to, to take on debt, but uh, not have income to help offset that. And there's just really not much way to recoup those losses. Well, you mentioned business travel because that's a very important part of the, uh, uh, the total number of rooms that are rented each night in North Carolina. And that, of course, has certainly changed a lot during this, uh, this epidemic. Do you think that may continue as people have, uh, uh, have learned to work at home a little bit more often and uh, uh, are using things like we're using today for this broadcast, Zoom and things of this nature? Does the restaurant, uh, I mean, does the lodging association part of your duties, are you looking ahead and saying, well, maybe some of that may never come back? Yeah, yes, Don, I, I do think that's a that's a reality. So we're facing, you know, a number of challenges. So first of all, you know, COVID right now, even though hotels are open, uh, they are not allowed to to host meetings and events. In North Carolina, we're subject to mass gathering requirements, which means that it, that nowhere in the state of North Carolina, 2,000 hotel properties, uh, in none of those can they host a meeting or event today. So no wedding receptions, no banquets, there are no corporate meetings, no corporate retreats. Uh, nothing in our state larger than 10 people. And so that is one of the big challenges is that uh, for, for most hotels, many hotels, that's how they sell hotel rooms. They offer their meeting space as an inducement to sell rooms. And so, you know, that's, that's obviously a huge problem for those hotels. There is a, the second problem that you cited, and that's that business travel in general is, is down, uh, largely because uh, uh, businesses don't want to take on the liability of having their, their employees travel. You know, it's, it's risky for them to have them travel and they could uh, be subject to liability around that. Uh, but I think also businesses are learning that they can accomplish a whole lot of things and maybe more productively using, you know, Zoom and other kinds of technology, uh, online uh, meetings. And so that, you know, may continue to be a trend we see for some period of time. And then thirdly, um, you know, uh, with revenues down in so many businesses, uh, so many businesses being adversely impacted, um, you know, we know that travel budgets are often the first thing that get, get cut. And uh, so that also is a concern going forward, not just for the short term, but even as we recover from COVID-19, uh, recovery in business travel may lag for some period of time. So, you know, plenty of, plenty of challenges on our plate. Well, you know, uh, is uh, those outside the business 
we, we tend to think of a hotel and motel as basically travel for business and recreation. I, quite frankly, sort of overlook the events because things like uh, college graduations, uh, sporting events, all those things are off the table right now. And those, uh, I, I suspect, accounted for a lot of hotel room nights. Uh, they really do. So, um, yeah, we we lost, uh, you know, the graduation events that would have filled hotels. We've lost a lot of the sporting events. A lot of the festivals across our state have been canceled because of mass gathering requirements. Uh, many annual conventions of all kinds of associations and businesses are off the books and canceled. Um, we are losing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of business in cities all over North Carolina. Uh, and that's true across the country. It's not just unique to, to North Carolina. Uh, as I talk with my colleagues around the country, this is, um, you know, we're facing challenges here in our state as, just as uh, colleagues around the country are. Um, but it, it, it is significant. And so, you know, just as we're, we're hearing a lot about restaurants and their impacts, but hotels are certainly feeling it as well. And um, it, just very challenging times. On the lodging side, uh, we used to have a kind of a nice, regular schedule as far as school calendars. Uh, uh, public schools were usually out of the classroom in June, July, and August, and people could plan vacations. But uh, in the last, I guess, 10 or 12 years, maybe even a little bit longer than that, there's been a trend toward starting school earlier and maybe uh, uh, ending school a little later. And so the vacation period sort of shortened from like almost 12 weeks to down around eight or nine weeks. How, how did the uh, lodgers, the people providing lodging, how did they react to that? And what effect has that had on the, the lodging part of your association? So we have worked uh, very hard to try to uh, protect the summer season uh, for, you know, those uh, businesses along the coast of North Carolina and in the mountain region that are more leisure driven, family travel, um, and we know that a number of, uh, you know, family, family groups have also uh, supported uh, efforts. Uh, summer camps have supported efforts to try to maintain a, a robust 12-week summer, summer season. Largely, policymakers have worked with us on that. And so we've been pretty successful at preserving uh, almost 12 weeks of the summer travel season. But this year, uh, with COVID, school calendars have definitely been altered. And so we're having to make some exceptions this year. And we'll see schools across North Carolina going back into session early in August, which is uh, going to eat further into the, the revenue and the, the opportunity to make money that some of these hotels uh, would have enjoyed during the summer season. And, and then, as you might imagine, if they're in a leisure destination like the mountains or the coast, business really does get soft when schools go back uh, into session. So um, these, these businesses may be enjoying a little bit of a reprieve just during this brief summer that we're going to have this year, uh, but it's going to be short-lived likely, and, and those challenges will continue. Well, it, it, it's something we're all having to get accustomed to. And, 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 and now the other problem that we're hearing more and more about is that the younger crowd, the 18 to 34-year-olds, are having even more difficulty in uh, adjusting their lives. And they are, at this point in time, uh, becoming the group that is more or less ignoring a lot of the distancing rules and so forth. So how, how are restaurants and the hotels reacting to trying to enforce the distancing and the, uh, uh, the mask and so forth with that, that age group? So, you know, the, the enforcement is probably the hardest part for uh, restaurants. If you think about it, you know, restaurateurs are the first to greet frequent visitors. 
uh, frequent guest. They hug them. They high five when they walk in. I mean, restaurants are normally busy and lively and, uh, and, and guests often interact with each other. They walk from table to table as they see a, a familiar face and friend. And that's really what the hospitality community is all about. And so this whole COVID situation has kind of thrown all that for a loop and thrown uh, restaurant owners and operators for a loop in that, you know, restaurants just aren't like they, they were before. And, and we, we kind of long for that, but know that that, um, you know, that, that, that may be some time coming back. Um, you know, today when you walk in a restaurant, you're expected, now you're required, required to wear a face covering uh, to the table. And then once at the table, you can remove that. Uh, parties are limited to a table size of 10. And so there's none of those, uh, those long group tables where people used to congregate. Those are not allowed anymore. Um, you know, social distancing is required. And so unless you're from the same group coming in, you're supposed to stand six feet apart. And um, so all of that just feels very different and foreign. And, um, you know, it is putting restaurateurs in a very uncomfortable spot in that they now, you know, are trying to police these kinds of things. And, and that is awkward and confusing. And I think that's one of the reasons we have worked so hard to, to try to uh, engage the public in efforts to, to try to, you know, communicate to them that we all have a responsibility uh, during COVID-19. The, the responsibility for accomplishing all of this just can't lie with the businesses uh, themselves, that we as citizens in this state, um, you know, have to do our part. There is a sense of mutual responsibility. Um, we, we rolled out uh, an exciting program called Count on Me in C, and it really is all about that uh, social responsibility, that responsibility that we all have to each other uh, to, to practice social distancing, to wear face coverings, to wash our hands, um, to be respectful and kind of each other. Um, and the, the whole goal of that is to try to take some of that responsibility off the business owners and operators um, and to, to, to indicate to consumers across our, our state that this is a mutual responsibility we have as we uh, come back into businesses to make sure that we're protecting each other as well as um, businesses and our employees. Lynn Menzies is our guest. She's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. And we'll have another segment coming up right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. 
Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers is Lynn Menges, and we're talking about the reaction of the North Carolina restaurants and hotels and motels and other folks who provide lodging. As she is the president and CEO of that association that serves that group that represents some $22 billion in sales in North Carolina, and as we said, employs 13% of the state's workforce. Uh, Lynn, we, we've talked about all sorts of things, and I guess we've spent a little bit more time talking about the hotels and motels and other folks who supply lodging than we have restaurants. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the restaurants are doing during this period of time as they are uh, trying to recover and uh, discover new ways of uh, operating. and. Uh, uh, you mentioned the Cap NC uh, project. Yes, Don. So, uh, you know, restaurants, as they began to reopen, they were allowed to reopen for in-dining service on May 22nd. That was leading into Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and we saw some restaurants choose to reopen at that time, although many remain closed and are still closed today, although some have come back uh, over the last few weeks. It's been a tough time for restaurants in general. So, you know, if you think about it, for about three months, they were they were closed from May 17th until March 17th until around, uh, you know, the end of May, they were closed for in-dining service. And so we saw, you know, quick service, drive-through delivery continue. And so those models that uh, provided those kind of services sustained pretty well. But largely, you know, most restaurants uh, did not have that as a part of their operations. Um, and so, you know, those that were able to, to put delivery and drive-through takeout curbside into place, um, you know, muddled their way through that period of time. Today, we see uh, some restaurants open, but they're, they're, op- they're limited to 50% capacity. And, and so to put, put that in perspective, there is no restaurant in America that can make money at 50% capacity. So even though they're open, they are not profitable at 50% capacity. They are still, you know, they've accrued debt during the time they were closed. And even as they open at 50% capacity, they are paying some of their bills, but not covering all of their costs. And so they're not able to recoup from the, you know, the, the 10 weeks or so that they were closed. So that really does, you know, continue to present challenges for these restaurants. Um, we're seeing some restaurants, though, who have pivoted their models. And I think that's going to be key going forward, Don, is that um, those restaurants that are able to to reinvent themselves, to do things differently, to look at their business models differently, will survive this. And those who don't, you know, likely will not. I mean, this is going to be, we're going to be living with COVID, it appears, for some period of time. And and so, you know, the restaurants who are going to make it are those who are doing, uh, you know, things like market baskets. They're working with local farmers and where they used to get uh, products and some still do get products in to prepare for diners, they're now offering off, uh, off, often off, offering those products to their patrons. So, you know, a patron may sign up for a, a food club. They may uh, stop by their local restaurant to pick up a, a box of meats or uh, produce or fruits, vegetables, products that they can then take home and prepare. Um, that is allowing some of those uh, restaurants to, you know, to remain profitable. Um, many of those that, that did not previously offer takeout and delivery are now doing that curbside service. That will continue to be a very important, not just important, but a vital part of uh, success for restaurants going forward. Um, many restaurants are having to um, 
adapt menus to try to look at uh, products that are more profitable, menu offerings that are more profitable for them. So, you know, we're not going into restaurants and seeing the extensive menu offerings that we saw before. You'll see very limited menus in many cases. Um, disposable menus are required, but but they're having to business owners are having to rethink their menu offerings um, to offer things that allow them to you know make the greatest profit. Um, you know, without those kinds of things, those kinds of uh, adaptations, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, for for restaurants to survive um, for for a long period of time. So you know, a lot of changes to our industry all around. Embracing technology, contactless payment. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of changes abroad. And so it, we're kind of living in this era where you adapt and change or, you know, many might not make it. We talked about the fact that the current uh, statewide workforce is about 13% of our total workforce in the state has to do with the, uh, the two uh, large segments that you represent. Uh, long range, what you're saying is that that number is going to go down. So the two questions how far down will that go? And then what do we do about finding jobs and new opportunities for those who are going to be permanently displaced? Well, I think we kind of hit the low point for uh, most restaurants and hotels, um, you know, when they were essentially shuttered and we're beginning to see some rehiring taking place right now. So that feels better, at least for our industry. Um, and, and so I, I think we'll continue to rehire staff um, and obviously, you know, good, talented staff uh, are always in demand. Um, so we, we should re, uh, continue to, you know, rehire staff as these businesses come back. Um, the concern will be those that don't make it and then what happens to those employees. So I don't think we're expecting wholesale, you know, layoff, permanent layoff of employees. We hope that many of those will be rehired and retained uh, even as the business models change because we're going to need, we're going to need to, you know, have people to offer hospitality for sure. Um, but I'm mostly concerned about the businesses and their models going forward and, um, you know, just finding some relief from them from the, the debt that these businesses find themselves in. That, that perhaps is the greatest threat that we're, we're facing today is the, the in, immense amount of debt that restaurants and hotels continue to incur um, during COVID-19 and just, you know, honestly not much relief coming to support them. Now, we also, of course, uh, have a number of families that, found uh, trips to Disney World and other theme parks, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, are very important to their vacation plans and so forth. And uh, Disney and some of the other theme parks are beginning to reopen. But how long do you think before large numbers of people feel safe uh, with that out-of-state travel and uh, being involved with so many people on, on a close basis? What, what, what challenges are they facing? So, you know, we, we're, we're not only facing the, the, the real threat of COVID-19, but we're facing kind of a second enemy, and that is, uh, you know, consumer confidence in travel and, and consumers feeling safe to travel. Um, and, and so that may be around for a while. I know the industry is very focused on helping to ensure consumers that uh, we're safe, that we're cleaning, we're practicing social distancing, you know, protocols, that we're doing all the kinds of things that, um, that that are intended to keep them safe. Uh, but I do think the consumers are going to continue to feel a little bit of uncertainty about that. Um, and again, I don't think it's on the business. I think it's a, a, a you know, the, the concern is really about other patrons who frequent these businesses, uh, places like Disney. So it's not about the, the efforts that Disney may put forward. I think they're 
they're comfortable with, um, you know, the cleaning protocols and they trust businesses like Disney and others. Um, but the question really is, can they trust other patrons, other uh, 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 folks who will attend these events? And that is the looming question. I, I, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, the face covering mandates that we're beginning to see um, at least reassure some people that there is that added layer of uh, protection for them and their families against, um, you know, the, this respiratory virus uh, impacting them. Now, the, the governor has made a big difference between bars and restaurants. Uh, you know, a number of restaurants, of course, have bars. How, how is that working? What's the, the uh, ratio there? So, Don, you know, this kind of gets back to uh, uh, North Carolina's archaic alcohol laws, which is something that we've been trying to chip away at at NCRLA for quite some period of time. We have, uh, you know, so many alcohol laws on the books that really need to be revisited, and this is one of them. It, it kind of raises the question. In North Carolina, it is we do not have bars that are open to the public. Um, all all restaurant all bars that are open to the public must serve food, and so that really becomes a restaurant. So bars that have food are restaurants; they're not bars. Bars in North Carolina are private clubs, and uh, the the system sort of skirts the law by by say, by charging a dollar for you to come in, and they put your name on a list, and if you pay that dollar, you're a member for a lifetime. It's a game. It's a way that that these establishments sort of uh, skirt that archaic law that needs to be changed. And so that's really what we're bumping up against here is that, um, you know, restaurants are open to the public. They are inspected by the health department. They have to have a serve safe uh, food service manager on duty at all times. Uh, they have to post their sanitation scores. Um, you know, they have to abide by public laws, whereas bars are private clubs and they do not have to follow those same protocols. So that I think is really what we're getting caught up in here in North Carolina. It really goes back to that distinction of, you know, uh, truly there are no public bars that are regulated by the state in the way that restaurants are. And that really is the differentiator, I think. So, you know, we continue to work for bars to be open. We do have a number of bars in membership. Um, it is concerning that they can't be operational and, you know, they're losing money. They're, they're, you know, they're struggling, really, really struggling, but this is a, a continued, continued issue of concern. Well, it's, uh, thank you for that uh, uh, information there. I didn't, uh, I, I knew that the North Carolina laws had been patched uh, up and, and not ever really focused on having a uniform, up-to-date law, but I didn't realize it was quite that archaic. Our guest is Lynn, uh, Lynn Menges, and she will be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers, and uh, we will get her views on what is facing the, the restaurants and the hotels and motels of North Carolina as they uh, join all of us in the fight against COVID-19. And we'll be back right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. She just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, 
go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Wynn Menges, who's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. A reminder that a number of people who carry this program carry a half-hour version. If you'd like to hear the full-hour version, actually it's two, uh, uh, about 20 minutes more of content, uh, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire uh, segments that you missed or the entire podcast if you'd like to share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest is Lynn Menges, President and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. We mentioned earlier that this, this association's firms represent uh, about $22 billion in sales in North Carolina and employ about 13% of the state's labor force. I've said that several times because I think that's a, a much larger figure than I would have anticipated. Uh, so it is a very important part of our economy, and it is a part that has been uh, very hard hit by uh, the effects of this uh, pandemic that we're in. Uh, Lynn, one thing we didn't ta- talk about was the was it Count on Me NC? Yes, yes. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Don. Um, we are very proud of our Count on Me NC initiative. Uh, As restaurants were closed across North Carolina uh, for that period of time between March 17th and May 22nd, um, we spent time uh, thinking a lot about what reopening would look like for restaurants across our state. We knew that we would have some strict guidance in place, and we began to work with the governor and with North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services on a reopening plan. I think North Carolina was very blessed in that we we spent a lot of time focused on reopening. And so we did that better than other states. We came out of the, the closure, I think, in a better position. And one of the reasons we did is that we worked together to create a, a program in North Carolina that started with a North Carolina restaurant promise. We outlined the kinds of things that restaurants as a part of reopening would promise, would pledge to do. But we knew that uh, restaurants uh, would need some incentive Uh, and some direction about what reopening would look like. And so we worked together to create a program called Count on Me NC. Uh, Your listeners can learn more about this initiative by going to the website countonmenc.org. And uh, here's the way it works. We we encourage listeners to go there and learn about their commitment, uh, the things that we expect of our guests as they come into restaurants across our state and to other businesses. Um, but there is a component for businesses. So we knew that uh, restaurants who were facing reopening would need to have some kind of direction, some training that they could provide to their wait staff, front of the house employees, back of the house employees, and restaurant managers. So we developed five training modules. Uh, customers can go there and, and look at those training modules. Uh, front of the house employees take this training as well as back of the house restaurant managers. 
there is a, a training module. Uh, these are all online courses, 30 minutes in length. There is a training module for cleaning staff. So if you think about it, not only do those folks who clean restaurants have to clean the tops of the tables as they did before, um, and the salt and pepper shakers, they now have to clean the sides of the tables, the chairs, the backs of the tables. They have to change linens more frequently. They have to uh, even clean the ink pens that people use when they sign their bill at the end of the, the service. Uh, the cleaning pro protocols are much more rigorous. So this training program teaches all of those things to employees uh, and to business owners and operators. Um, at, the, at the end of the training, uh, those folks who complete the training, and we've probably completed about 50,000 training modules to date, uh, training courses to date, uh, when folks take that training, they can print out a certificate that shows that they've completed the Count on Me and See uh, training, and they then sign their name to a pledge indicating not only that they've been trained on these things, but they sign a pledge to say we're going to do these things in our businesses. So I think folks can comfortably look for businesses across North Carolina that carry the Count on Me logo. Uh, you can find those on our website. So if you go to that Count on Me web, NC website, you can see businesses who have signed the pledge, who are committed to best practices, and patrons who come into those establishments can feel comfortable that those businesses have gone above and beyond what the law requires uh, to make sure that they're compliant with the very best practices in, self, uh, in, in safety and sanitation during COVID-19. So real excited about that program. We were the first in the nation to have anything of that, of that nature. And now we're seeing other states uh, copying that model, which we're honored uh, that they are, uh, but very proud of that initiative. And, um, you know, it really is about a sense of mutual respect and responsibility as we come back into uh, restaurants and other businesses across our state. So, Lynn, as uh, you look ahead at the, the, what's remaining in this month and uh, the rest of the summer and the early fall, what, uh, what are you forecasting is going to happen to the members of your association and how? Uh, how will they continue to adapt to the situation? So restaurants and hotels across our state are struggling today and they will continue to struggle for the next uh, period of time, not just through COVID-19, uh, but they have taken on so much debt during this, the period of time when they were closed. Um, you know, they took on a, a lot of debt because their fixed costs remained uh, high. You know, they had lease payments and, uh, tax property tax payments and insurance payments uh, that didn't go away, utility bills that didn't go away. And so they continue to take on debt and they are struggling. Um, and the challenge today is that at 50%, they may be paying more of those bills, but they are not coming out from that debt. They're not making money. They're not profitable. And so that's going to continue for some period of time. Um, they're facing increased labor cost because they're having to add staff to, to do all the protocols, the cleaning, they're incurring uh, an additional cost because of all the PPE, the hand sanitizers, the cleaning products, the face masks, the gloves uh, that they're having to purchase. Um, food costs are rising, We're seeing just exorbitant costs for, for meats right now because of the, the you know, uh, the, the challenges with some of the, 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 the food supply issues that we're having. Um, and so all of that, I think, is going to add increased cost uh, to our to our restaurants and hotels. And and so, you know, they're going to continue to struggle for for some period of time as they try to you know recover from this debt that they've incurred during COVID. Um, and honestly, we are just not getting much relief from government at any level. There have been you know some things, but largely have not really helped to to pay the bills of of businesses. Not that we expect you know bills to be paid, but 
there really has not been much relief uh, from either the federal or state government in, in terms of addressing some of the unique challenges that restaurants and hotels are incurring right now. So I am concerned about uh, the status of these businesses. And, um, you know, we appreciate consumers who've continued to, to take, get takeout and delivery and support restaurants. Uh, but the road ahead for these guys is going to be pretty tough. It's, it's, it's tough. Well, it's, uh, it is tough. And, uh, I guess what we're all hoping for is, uh, the, the, uh, pinning our hopes on a vaccine because that's the only thing that's going to probably get us back to some some normalcy and, uh, especially in your, your particular fields. Uh, Lynn, uh, we've got sort of an awkward, uh, amount of time left. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make your pitch for whatever you want to say, because I've got 30 seconds and not time to ask a question. So, Don, we very much appreciate those who have continued to support restaurants with takeout and delivery, family-style pickup, uh, you know, buying other products, uh, joining food clubs and things of that nature that restaurants are offering today. Uh, and we look forward to, to working with uh, listeners to, to, you know, try to rebuild and recover. We do encourage folks to wear face coverings. It's not a political statement. It really just helps to protect other patrons, make them feel more comfortable and protect our employees so that we don't have to shut down again. So we encourage folks to consider that and just look forward to, to serving you in restaurants and hotels across North Carolina. You know, you should be in broadcasting. And that was almost exactly 30 seconds, and that was exactly what I asked for. So, Lynn Menges, thank you so much for sharing uh, the uh, information about how the restaurants and the uh, hotels and motels in North Carolina are uh, facing uh, the challenges of the current economic situation. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. So until next week, same time on the same group of stations. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.